The Candid Frame is supported by donations by listeners just like you. Help support the show by clicking on the donate button on the website or in the show notes. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter the offer code CANDIDFRAME at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. This is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame. When I was at college at Berkeley and I wanted to find some photographic inspiration, I would walk down Telegraph Avenue and go to Moe's Bookstore. And there, I'd find my way to the photographic section. There I would find a selection of used monographs by great photographers like Gordon Parks, William Eggleston, W. Eugene Smith, Mary Ellen Markin, and so many others. I would browse through those books, some of which I took back to my apartment, and those books served as my formal photo education. I would spend countless hours just looking at those books and those photographs over and over and over again. Over 20 years later, some of those same books are on my bookshelves now, and they continue to inspire me as much today as they did back then. And while I still buy monographs or two pretty regularly, I have to admit that some of my most recent inspirations have been found on my phone, specifically on, on Instagram. On a daily basis, I get to see amazing photographs from photographers from all over the world. Just when I think I won't see anything better, I flick my finger and my jaw drops yet again. It's there that I've discovered the work of today's guest, Michelle Rick, who has led to photography after feeling some frustration as a writer of fiction, an experience we both share. People will talk about waiting for inspiration to strike so that they can go out and finally produce that work that they've been aspiring to do. All that makes you good at is just that, waiting. Real inspiration, whether it's found in a book or a five-inch screen, only means something if it results in you getting off your ass and going out and making your own work. That's when you honor the work and the artist that created it. And that's when you get the opportunity to honor the creative in yourself and have the potential to being an inspiration to someone else. I got to tell you, I love your work. I mean, I started, I don't know how I found it on, on Flickr. I mean, not Flickr, but Instagram. Maybe I started following you first. Maybe that, maybe that was it. But I just started looking. And I was like, oh, my God, she is so good. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm, then, I'm really surprised. I mean. Why? Because I, I still think of myself as in two ways. One is as a relative newbie, um, someone who just sort of started. But then I think about like all the miles I've walked at the same time and through freezing cold and sweating summers. And I just think back on, on the years of walking, just walking and taking pictures. And then I'm thinking maybe I'm not such a newbie anymore, but I do feel like I'm still very much kind of just cracking my way in to 
sort of the street photography scene. So, so when you qualify yourself as a newbie, what does that mean? How, how long have you been actually doing this? Okay, so I actually, I started, I think, in 2009, um, but it wasn't with any any purpose to be a photographer or anything like that. It was actually just something to do while I, usually actually while my dog was um, at the vet or getting groomed or something, just walking around Tribeca trying to kill time um, with, with the phone that I had that came with my, with my plan, um, the free phone, and it was really bad. Um, and I don't know what it was that I enjoyed about it. It was maybe that um, it helped me kind of forget all the other kind of stressors in my life and just put everything out of my mind. Um, I've been talking to a lot of people lately about how, you know, the similarities between um, kind of hitting that groove and meditation and, and all that. And I think there's something to that. I think, um, you know, especially as a person who has um, suffered from anxiety in the past, it's sort of a way to your perceptions are totally heightened. Um, you're, you're hyper aware of your environment and the people around you, but you sort of lose your consciousness of yourself, which is a complete gift. I love that. Um, so I, I used to get that from writing a bit. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm sort of on the fence with writing. So well, that's I, I read that that was part of what led you to to pick up a camera was that yeah. you were doing some writing and that you were getting frustrated with with the process and you started you know using your your phone to go out and you know still exercise your creative muscle by making photographs. So tell us about that part of your life. I wasn't thinking about photography really as at that point I didn't realize that, that I had a creative muscle that needed exercising um, I was kind of absolutely convinced that I wasn't a real writer whatever that means um, that I had spent my life wanting to be a writer and it had become such a huge idea in my mind that it sort of killed my feeling of freedom to, to just do it. Um, there was so much pressure I was putting on myself. I couldn't just write a, a first book. It had to be, you know, the corrections or something. It had to be an infinite jest. And it just, it completely kind of killed my spontaneity. And, and on top of it, I was feeling very isolated in, uh, because it is isolating. You're by yourself. And people, you know, a lot of writers talk about how their characters take over and keep them company and all this stuff. And I just, I never felt that. Um, I did feel that sense of losing myself at, at the best of times in the writing. Um, but I never felt like I'd become possessed by my characters. Um, so... It was lonely for me. This was getting me out of the house along with my dog. <laughs> and so um, I, I thought of photography as I continued to do it as, some, as a way of sort of 
um, opening my world up again, getting me back into the world um, among people and feeling a part of it. I never felt like it was a, a lonely activity. I know that some photographers do. Um, it is something you do alone. I always was a photographer who uh, would stop and talk to people after I'd taken their picture if they wanted or just have conversations along the street with people I wasn't even photographing. It was just a great way to get out of the house, basically. Did, did the frustration that you had with, with the writing start happening when you started trying to tackle a novel? And yes. It, okay, so so what, what what was the difference between writing short stories okay. and then tackling a novel to the point that it became such difficulty in being able to continue in, in pursuing that part of I think creativity. I wasn't ready for it, um, for just sustaining interest in in characters for that amount of time, for that length. With a short story, I liked that that there was sort of the the, the loose the uh, threads that you could leave open. It was a little bit more just a scene out of life, which I guess is what we do as street photographers. And I was I was doing okay with that. I was publishing some kind of embarrassing short stories now that I look back at them mm -hmm. when I was in my twenties. And um and and I was actually doing all right with that. Um then there was a reading for a book that one of my stories was in and um after the reading, which was at Barnes and Noble on Eighth Street, an agent came up to me, and this was sort of the end of everything because she said, "No new writers really can make it um, by publishing a collection of short stories. You need a novel." And right there, that was it. I mean, I just sort of put it out of my head that I was going to keep going the way I was going, which was feeling like I was making some progress, getting better, and had to do a novel. I mean, this was probably before a whole bunch of short collections by first-time writers started coming out, which I wish I'd just gone with, with, you know, what felt right to me instead of being so impressionable. But, you know, then came this book by Matthew Clam, Sam the Cat, and The Girl with the Flammable Skirt, and all these great stories short story collections that I that I really love to this day. So anyway, I had this idea for a novel and I became hooked on the idea and so attached to it and so excited about it. And it even had a title. And I started telling people the whole story, which is a huge mistake because then it's it's gone. You've told it. So when I finally sat down to really get into writing past page 40 or 60 or something, it sort of lost steam. And that's where I got stuck. Um, I just felt like I wasn't getting into kind of the characters weren't coming to life for me in the way that I described before that they do, you know, writers claim they do for them. Um, and it's funny because I'm still really sensitive about stuff like that. Um, I have this this one message that I saved um, 
that everyone tells me I should delete, but I saved it for a reason. I'll read it to you. Um, It's from this guy who I met on the street, I think either last summer or the summer before. I was sort of sitting for a minute on the sidewalk in New York, the way that we do, (laughs) and and drinking my iced coffee. And this, this man came up to me and explained that he was a collector and he had Nan Golden pictures in his house and all this stuff. And he was, he was trying to pick me up a little bit, but then we did kind of discuss meeting again. Um, I gave him my card and I, and he wrote me back and said, you know, tried to arrange the thing. And then he ended the text saying, I looked at your collection on your website. The images I saw seemed to be through the eye of a passing observer and somewhat dispassionate. Do you have a few shots where your subjects bleed a little so it or they provoke a deeper and more emotional response? Mm. Hope you are well, Vince. (laughs) I never never answered him, but I couldn't, I can't bring myself to delete this thing because it hit a nerve. That's exactly what I was worrying was wrong with my writing. And here's someone telling me that this is happening with my um, photography too. And by that point, this was, I think last summer, I'd been doing it a couple of years and it had become more important to me than just kind of a passing lark, you know, walking around the neighborhood with a phone. So, yeah, I took it personally, very personally. So um, that's why I was really surprised that you even asked me to do this, to tell you the truth. Well, I I love the work. I mean, I love the way you use light and you use color. But, you know, what you just said to me, I mean, it just so strikes home to me. In what way? Uh, every way. Everything that you said, I could have said it myself. About uh, my pictures? Uh, about your pictures, about your writing, because I, I, I write myself, or had written at one point. I have a novel that's a little more like halfway through. Um, had written a bunch of short stories, and eventually I stopped for a lot of the sort of same reasons that you stopped. And I could say that about some of my... Uh, what I struggle with in terms of that, that book is feeling not dispassionate, but feeling like that connection that I experience when I read other people's work, feeling like yeah. it's not that it's not there on the page, even though other people tell me otherwise. Uh, taking a look at my photographs and feeling like there's this distance between me and my subjects that I wish I, that I could bridge. So, you know, everything you're saying there is just like, you know, you could have written in my diary and I wouldn't have been able to tell the difference. On the upside, um, it's helped me become, I think, a better photographer because I really am am trying hard to look for more than just uh, the person walking on the street, you know, with the interesting background now. And I'm looking more for people who are in groups and interacting with each other. It's, it's harder than it probably was pre-cell phone times um, because everyone, I mean, even people on dates together have, they can be sitting in a restaurant at a table and have their heads in their phones. And that's not an interesting picture. Yeah. Um, light and color just isn't enough. And um, I guess also it hit a nerve because it made me think, well, maybe that's 
because I that's who I am in life. I'm just passionate. I'm not connecting in a real way with people. But it's it's which is why I'm a really poor judge of my work and and kind of don't believe it when people tell me that they like it, especially people who like yourself are you really know photography. So it, it actually, it means a, a, more than you know. Yeah, but I think that, that that challenge of making a street photograph in which you feel a sense of in, in, intimacy yep. is one of the greatest challenges that I think any street photographer faces. Uh, yep. Because you're photographing people you do not know. That's right. And you're doing it in a way where most times they're not aware. Yes. And it's the relationship of different people who have no relationship to each other yes. within the context of the frame that elicits that because it's so much about your point of view and how you are experiencing not just the individuals in the frame, but how everyone is sort of occupying a space. Yep. Um, you have a great shot of this guy. Uh, he's shirtless. He has his shirt or a towel over his neck. He has sort of a green, yellow bandana around his head. And there's this gay couple in uh, to the right of the frame where they're um, about to kiss or they're just being intimate with each other. Oh, I think I know from Pride Parade last year. Probably, yeah. yeah. And, and I think that's one shot where there is uh, more than just somebody walking within into the light. I mean, you've got yeah. beautiful light here, but it reveals something of relationship and interaction. And, and, and again, it's about the relationship of these various people in the in the frame. But that's... That kind of shot, I, I I love that shot, but there's an elusiveness to such a moment mm-hmm. that even at a public festival like you know the pride you know pride parade or yeah. you know or the Dominican parade or whatever you know thing is happening in New York at the time, it's still hard to get, especially because there's such a there's so much activity and being able to see it and be able to capture it within the context of the frame is such it's a bear. That's amazing that you say that to me because I feel like, at, especially at that Pride Parade, I can't even imagine that anyone could miss it. It was so, I have to say, of that day stands out as the most fun I've ever had taking pictures. Actually, the most fun I've ever had by myself, um, ever. It was just there were, it was a love fest and it was everywhere and everyone was sort of um connecting and physical and it was it was just like i mean i, I hate to say this but shooting ducks um in a way but it was and also i had two friends who were um had just gotten married and were marching so mm-hmm. that made it extra special but it was it was just that's the thing about special events like Pride. It's the stuff that's happening on the sidelines, I think, where you'll find some of the most interesting stuff. But it doesn't happen every day, even in yeah. New York. So There's another shot that you have of a woman. I guess she's drinking a beer, and she's leaning up against the post, and she's wearing like a purple top or something. Um, she's looking up into the sun, the black woman. Or she's coming out of the door or something? Oh, I know. This was actually the Mermaid Parade last year. Okay. 
So I couldn't get anywhere near the actual parade, which was just fine with me. This was on um, Surf Avenue, like right when you come out of the subway. And I just loved her, um, her attitude. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's just, she, she comes off as being, being very regal in that moment. Exactly. So, I mean, it's, she didn't need other people interacting with her. It was um, kind of catching her in a moment by herself where, where she was expressing something um, anyway without anyone else around. So, Did you yeah. just go up and make the shot? Did you ask her permission? How well, I- I've never, I don't think I've ever asked anyone's permission which for the most part has been fine. Um, I'm usually able to diffuse awkward um, situations when I'm caught um, just by smiling. There's a picture I left up um, toward the end of my stream right next to the little, the, the second to last picture, I call it Big Love. And it was one I took very early on, probably 2010. Mm-hmm. And the, the reason I love it is because that was probably my first experience of getting caught. Yeah, I mean, I've, other than that, I have had a few incidents. And it's always from someone that you would never kind of expect a bad reaction from. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of a dapper looking guy who if i if i had smelled his breath before i took the picture i i maybe would have <laughs> known but he um grabbed the camera around my neck and and oh, wow. uh threatened to bash my skull in with it and this was you know middle of the day in front of arturo's pizzeria which is one of my favorite places to shoot and people sitting outside eating, walking by. No one cares. No one. No one's protecting the you know five four little girl. Um, I guess because in a way, street photographers have become sort of demonized, and and that kind of also goes back to when we were talking about how people are kind of shut down on the street. Mm-hmm. I think in a lot of ways. Um, no matter how inconspicuous you may think you are, uh, people have become so concerned about controlling their image right. mm-hmm. in a way that I can't even understand because I didn't grow up with the internet, but it's become such a huge part of most people's lives um, that if if they're not you know taking their own selfie, um, they don't want you shaping what's going to be out there of mm-hmm. them. Are, um, are you still using a camera phone? Oh, no. I stopped a long time ago. So I, I switched to a Canon um, 7D for a long time. And I just started having really bad neck and back problems. And so recently I got, um, I sold that and I got a Fuji um, X100T. And I love it so far. Um, and my neck is thanking me for it. So it's it's good. I didn't realize um, someone kind of brought this to my attention that when you edit them in light, when you edit the Fuji pictures in Lightroom um, with certain uh, film profiles, they can look kind of radioactive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I've taken a lot of pictures that are looking 
a little bit oversaturated. Um, I don't know really when I cross the line, I kind of need help having that pointed out to me because I love color and light so much that sometimes I just, I just lose sight of when it's too much, but yeah, I do like the camera a lot though. Well, one of the things about the way you use light, you just seem to be shooting. I wish light was like this all the time. And a lot of the images that you shoot, you're shooting at the most ideal, ideal time. It seems like. Yeah. Um, when did that begin? I mean, that that's something that a lot of people have been shooting a long time never pick up on, especially when it comes to street photography. But it seems like like you've uh, once you sunk your teeth into it, you just you will not let go, and it, it results in some really beautiful imagery. I'd have to go back and look at all the stuff that I've closed off on my on my stream. Um, there was some point where I just was able to start to read the light that when it was behind me and in people's eyes, um, I was, I was admi first I was admiring it in a lot of other photographers, Flickr photographers, um, were, were doing beautiful things with light and, and color. And I hadn't really even been paying attention to that. Um, and, and now I think I almost pay too much attention to that, you know, in place of maybe the composition itself. So the, my goal is to sort of have all those elements eventually in some way coming together. But yeah, once I sort of realized that this was something I could play with, I just couldn't stop. And I love it when the lights in people's faces, first of all, you get a lot of kind of, uh, echoing um, hand gestures from people walking into light, which mm -hmm. I know it's becoming kind of a cliche, but I just find that there's something kind of fun about that. There's one picture. Let's see. It's um, it says there. Okay. It's on my first page of my Flickr and it's these two, there's a road closed sign and these religion posters and a kind of skeleton in the poster that's kneeling down and praying. And these two women looking into the sun with their hands up mm -hmm. and construction. Do you know the one I'm talking about? Um, no, but, but, but go, but go ahead. I just, first of all, you get the reactions, um, when the light is facing a certain way from people, mm -hmm. it's, it's also a pretty good way to shoot without being spotted. Um, That's true. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Um, I mean, I see a lot of photographers who I, I know I can tell right away that they're afraid to get close. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things I would say is, you know, wait till the light is in their faces because <laughs> You can, you'll get away with a lot like that and you'll get a great picture. Probably. I tend to also kind of underexpose a little bit and really that's it. Do you find that being a, a small woman, you said you're about five, four. Yeah. Does, do you feel like that's an advantage for you? It can be, but yes, probably in almost every case, but there are certain situations, especially where children are involved, where it doesn't matter who you are, what your size is. I mean, I can empty a playground in 
10 minutes if oh, I wow. sit down and start taking pictures. People are very protective of their children. So I've also been threatened by, I can remember one father. And so, but on the whole, I think I probably do have an advantage. And I also have a good answer if, if people ask me why I'm taking pictures. Um, well, this is my long-winded kind of answer, and it, it is a little bit BSy, but um, but it's not totally untrue. Which is, I, I, I but I think it's so long-winded that I bore them to death with the explanation. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they just say, "Okay, never mind." I'm sorry I asked, but um, it's that uh, I, I say, you know, when you see those pictures in the middle of winter, like, like those human interest pictures on the front of the New York Times of someone walking through a blizzard with their umbrella blown inside out. And I, I get into this really detailed description of it. And, mm -hmm. and then I say, I, I'm the one who takes pictures like that. <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> and so they seem to accept that. Or I'll just say, which is probably closer to the truth, that I grew up here and I'm really just documenting the way the ways that my neighborhood and my city are changing. Even in the short time that I've started taking pictures, buildings have gone up and come down and it's just so much has happened. Um, it's amazing. It so, really is. So where, where in New York do you live? I, I live in the village. I grew up here on Bleecker Street. My parents live in Soho. So we live about three blocks away from each other. Yeah, I've lived here my whole life. I've I went to grade school down here, um, and in the 70s, you know, we used to walk. I was just reading an article about how different parents are today and overprotective and stuff, and they used to say the same thing back in the 70s about parents and how in the 50s, you know, kids would run around playing stickball and all this stuff, but but we did run around a lot and and kind of have the, the streets to ourselves Although even then there were times, like I remember, do you know about Eitan Pates? No, no, tell me about him. He was the first, um, well, he was the first kid on a milk carton. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he lived right near me and my parents. And and so he was, he was kidnapped and they've reopened the case a few times and we were the same age. So... Just walking home from from dinner back then, Soho was completely deserted. And if we went down to Chinatown for dinner and walked back through Little Italy and and then through these empty streets in Soho, which were just covered with these posters of this boy, um, it sort of made a big impression on me. It didn't make me afraid to go out on my own, oddly enough, I think I was, I was scared as hell that something bad was going to happen to my parents when they were with me. Um, mm. it's weird. I don't know, but it, it was just, it was the, his, you couldn't get away from his face. Um, it was pretty awful. And, um, and so then I went to high school uptown and college in Chicago and came back here. I know you love photography. You wouldn't be listening to this show if you didn't. 
and you wouldn't be listening to this show with any regularity if your passion was photographic equipment and not photography. There's a big difference there. You love photographs. You love making them. You love looking at them, whether they're on a computer screen, a book, or a gallery wall. You know the satisfaction and pleasure that can be had by looking at great photographs, photographs that are meant to be shared. What are you doing with your photographs? Are they being relegated to exist solely on your hard drive or some cloud site? Do your images exist on some photo sharing service whose layout and interface doesn't make your photographs good to look at and actually make it difficult, if not impossible, for people to discover them? Why don't you change all that today by showcasing your work on a Squarespace website? It's so simple to do that you can have a beautiful website in about an hour which you have the power to refine and fine-tune to your own personal taste and needs. I can tell you how simple and easy it is, but you really won't know until you find your way to the site and try it out for yourself. Start your free trial today with no credit card required at squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code CANDIDFRAME to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. Being familiar with New York, having grown up there, um, you mentioned that you know you're, you're seeing how how it's changing, mm-hmm. but New York is is a very unique place, especially for photographers. But yep. considering it, it's home for you, mm-hmm. what is it that you try to capture in your photographs that you think people who, for example, visit New York, even especially photographers, don't get? Hmm. I. I don't consciously try to do different pictures than what other New York photographers are are doing. Um, I just take the pictures that appeal to me. So in, in, in the way that anyone would take pictures of their hometown, I think is, is how I think of it. Um, as much as there have been changes to New York, it's still a remarkable place. And you never know. I mean, we talk about the bad old days like they were so great and how fantastic Times Square was. But, you know, coming out of Annie or a chorus line and being scared for your life also Mm -hmm. was not um, it wasn't fun. It didn't feel like the good the good days. And Coney Island was a wasteland when I was a kid. Um, We never went there. And now it just, I'm thinking about how everyone complains about how Disney-fied Times Square is. and But now de Blasio is talking about taking out uh, the pedestrian areas and turning it back into just cars. And, you know, the thing that set him off is not all the Disney characters, but the, the women. And, and also, by the way, not the naked cowboy but the women, the topless women. And I'm thinking, well, are we going to look back on on these days as sort of the halcyon days of Times Square now where all these strange characters were walking around and you had, you know, fuzzy people beating each other up and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so it's always interesting. You grew up here too? Uh, no, uh, I was born there but raised here in Los Angeles, but oh. I have plenty of family there, so... 
Uh, whenever I have an excuse to go out there for for a period of time, I just I love um, just walking endlessly through 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 New York. Yeah, um, I mean, I think the advantage for street photographers in New York is that it's a walking city. Yeah, and a lot of life is lived on the street on stoops. I mean, that's I spent a lot of my adolescent adolescence sitting on a stoop or hanging out a window, whatever it is. Um, it's you just sort of plant yourself wherever you feel like sitting down and taking time to yourself. And, um, but, but then again, the other day when I was leaving Coney Island, I saw about six street photographers, obvious street photographers. And I thought, Oh my God, I mean, really what chance do I have? Look at We're so oversaturated and how, how do you, set yourself apart in that kind of, I mean, there are lots of people who grew up here um, who I'm sure are taking great pictures. And how do you, how do you set yourself apart? Normally I don't think about it. I try not to think about it because I think if I thought too much about stuff like that, I would become as inhibited about taking pictures as I did about writing. So I, it's, it's, you know, like I, I, I just can't go there. Do you, do you find that you, there are moments where those those kinds of feelings, those insecurities, make it difficult for you to go out to make pictures? Or is the process of making pictures so much, for lack of a better word, simpler than looking at a blank page that it's not as, uh, as much of an obstacle as it would be when you're writing? It's not as daunting. Um, I don't know if... Every photographer will will like that statement because it's not to say that photography is easy, but it you go out even if you're not feeling like it. You start shooting, maybe you'll feel that you're in the groove, or maybe you'll never get there that day. But starting to put the words down on paper, it's much. It, it's a much harder kind of. Thing to overcome, um, and it requires a level of introspection that I don't feel with photography. With photography, I'm just able to get lost in it. And maybe people who are meant to be writers are able to feel that with writing, that it's an escape. But um, for me, you know, people have talked about which I probably already said, uh, that photography is a solitary pursuit that you're by yourself, you're walking around alone. And I've never felt lonely, you know, walking around taking pictures. I've felt, okay, I'm not the most inspired today. I'm not getting the shot. I've had days where I felt so inspired and so great that I had so much fun. I didn't care if I got home and I deleted the whole thing by accident or if none of them came out well, because just being there taking those pictures mentally was enough. But I had a, another strange kind of thing happen in Coney Island the other day. Um, this was last weekend and this never happened to me. And it was the first time I felt lonely taking pictures. I was, um, by, by the boardwalk looking out on the beach and there were these 
teenagers kissing, really in love, and I was I was taking their pictures. All of a sudden, it hit me that I wasn't being a teenager in love and kissing like that in that way that you have that kind of abandon and mm-hmm. intense feeling that you have when you're just that age. Um, and instead, I was just standing there recording it, and it made me feel really different than I had ever felt taking pictures before. I just, I didn't like it. I, I have to say. Um, I don't know if it's a major shift for me, if it means I'm going to try to start incorporating having a personal life more (laughs) with, you know, being a photographer. I I did keep thinking about, you know, photographers that I know who are married or um, in couples with other photographers or other artists and how amazing it must be to go home to them and to have that in common at the end of the day. Um, Normally my dog is enough for me, but this day it just, I had that feeling. It was a strange one. And um, yeah, I don't know what brought it on. That's interesting. I think as photographers, we're kind of observers. Yeah. And writers are too. So, so the idea of being intimate with our own lives Mm. Yeah, that, may, that doesn't doesn't nail it, but something along those lines of, of, of feeling like that we are inside. I think as a writer, it, it makes a little more sense because as you're putting words on the page, you're not just describing things. You're not just describing characters. You're having to dig in pretty damn deep yep. in order to make something that when people read it, they feel something viscerally, that, the, that these characters, even though they're fictional, that there's some genuineness about it. And I think the best writers are able to use the language to sort of tap into that about themselves. And I think to some extent, photographers are as well. And I've been thinking about this. I think that sometimes it's easy to fall back on technical proficiency with respect to light. And this applies to both uh, writing and photography, is that you can fall back into a way of using the medium that elicits the the reaction that we want. And then there's another level where you're really able to just draw deep and go into a well that is just where the stuff is just so raw and so visceral and yeah. so real that it creates an experience that it's 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 a completely different thing. Yeah. And I think that sometimes like that moment I think taps into the fact that that that's there. I think in some sense it made me realize that I'd probably been purposely, purposely or purposefully keeping a distance from my subjects um, in some way to protect myself. And I don't know if, if realizing that will help me make my pictures bleed the way that guy described uh, in the future or if it will help me kind of open myself up more, you know, in the personal side of my life. I have no idea. But I think something about it felt like a turning point. Yeah. And I I think that's, you're right on point with that. Because I feel that about my work uh, at times. Like when? uh, Just that that thing about wanting something more intimate. Mm. Wanting to feel, I want to feel myself in the photographs. 
Do you feel like in order to to take pictures to be an artist, you've kind of kept a distance in other parts of your life, though? You know, I've always I've I think that, and I've been thinking about this more in terms of my my, my writing, mm-hmm. is the fact that I think part of what has kept me from really going with the work in in terms of the way that I feel like I want to mm-hmm. is that. I don't want to reveal myself. Mm-hmm. And I, it goes back to being being a kid where I felt that revealing myself, opening myself up, being honest about who I was and my feeling made me vulnerable. Yeah. And made me subject to pain, rejection in a way that I I learned to avoid. Yeah. And so... Oh, listen. God, you have no idea how much that... I mean that completely hits home because I I was that kid too. I mean, I I used to get bullied kind of about things. I wasn't, I don't know. I I was sort of a misfit a little bit, especially around seventh grade, um, eighth grade when I was starting a new school. And there were things like I didn't know I had a lisp and some kids started making fun of me and that's how I found out. Things like that that mm-hmm. sort, of, sort of stay with you, and then you just put up a guard. You just start to kind of protect yourself because revealing yourself becomes something, a potential embarrassment. And and loneliness in particular is something that people don't talk about. It seems like there's almost more stigma around um, admitting to loneliness than there is even to something like depression. Yeah, it's getting close to people. I I really it's a talent as far as I'm concerned. And and I think that that for every artist, I think at some point you have to be able to bridge that gap. Yep. You either and if you're not, you're you're never able to really create the work that you aspire to. Exactly. And and how we get there it's you know a different path for for everyone, but I think you and I and probably a lot of people who are listening to this right now mm-hmm. recognize that that is something that they have experienced or are experiencing right now, mm-hmm. and that that is not something to be feared. And how we get to that point is there's no telling how we get there, but it's the pursuit of that that I think really allows people to become better at whatever they're, they're striving to do, and that recognizing that is is a, a good indication that you're going in the right direction. If you're feeling that discomfort in your chest, which I, I think I feel on a daily basis, uh, <laughs> and I don't drink over it, yeah. then, then I... I either. <laughs> so I'm probably... <laughs> if, I, if I keep doing what I'm doing and I keep pursuing and I keep conscious of it and I keep just putting in the time, putting in the work more than likely I'll, I'll, I'll get there. And, some, and I may not be conscious of it when it actually, when it happens. Yeah. You know, but it's, but ne- but never, never losing sight of the fact that I'm enjoying what I'm doing. It's true because I don't think it's a coincidence that I'm starting to think about writing again. Um, I'm, I'm, I have on right next to my bed on the table, you know, the novel I started, I've looked at again for the first time in years and and that this would happen this this moment in Coney Island kind of all of it concurrently I think there's a reason for that I don't know it, it there's something that feels like a turning point mm-hmm. so 
Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask I them to recommend another <laughs> photographer. So um, tell me who is that one photographer and why? Oh, the one photographer. Oh, I thought it was going to be a book. <laughs> I was actually going to recommend. Um, well, okay. I'll recommend the first photography book that I got really from my best friend in college decades before I even considered picking up a camera. Um, and I fell in love with it and I had no idea why. Um, hold on, let me get it. It's the, it's Roy de Carava. Oh yeah. It's the retrospective from the museum of modern art. And I think I, I just am enamored with, um, both his street photography and his incredible portraits of um, celebrity figures, and and his also his vision of New York. Yeah, we were. I was just talking with Roy Dekarava with our previous guest. Um, oh, yeah, because I I, I I we both had the opportunity to meet him when Roy was out here uh, in Los Angeles about oh god almost twenty years ago. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't say enough good things about. Uh, about Roy. He's a, he's a wonderful suggestion. Amazing. And the other thing is that I think he's underrated. I don't think, I mean, when people talk about the great photographers, when other street photographers are discussing it, they're, you know, they talk about Joel Meyerowitz and Eggleston and Saul Leiter and all these great people. Absolutely. I agree. But Roy DeCarva kind of never really gets in that mix very often. So I think he deserves it. Well, and one thing while we're talking about master photographers that I don't want to miss with you is that you made a photograph <laughs> of Robert Frank <laughs> without yes. knowing it. So you got to tell me about that picture and how you came to find out that that was Robert Frank. Okay, so I've taken a few now, but he happened to live about three blocks away from me in an area that I walk by all the time. Um, and I had just started, started taking pictures and this was a few years back. Um, I didn't have a, uh, the Canon yet. I, I think I was still on the phone and I just saw a man, he was living life on the street the way that I described in New York that we do. He had a folding chair out. He was leaning against the wall of the building I assumed he lived in. And I thought he looked like an interesting guy. So I took the picture. Um, technically, it's an, it's an awful picture. But what happened next was there used to be, and now it's gone, this, this museum called the Yippie Museum about two doors down from him. And the, the owner of it, pulled me in and said, do you know who you just photographed? I had no idea. And he explained who Robert Frank was to me. I didn't know anything about him. <laughs> he pulled out a copy of The Americans, and I sat there with him for maybe three or four hours. And the thing that's so funny that I remember most that he said to me was, we're very protective of him on this street. And it was sort of a warning the way he said it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which I think is, in a way, it's funny because, you know, of of all the people that maybe don't deserve protection from other photographers, <laughs> it's a street photographer. And yet at the same time, I, I there's there's probably no one I'm I, I keep more of a distance from on the street who I 
it's it's hard to explain, but I just feel like such an awe and respect and so conscious that I'm sitting like on the bench next to the legend Mm -hmm. that I can't, I've, I've, I told you that I I would be on Viber or whatever with my friend in Greece, who's also just, she's such a great photographer, Maria. And she would say, get a bottle of wine, go talk to him, girl. What are you doing? You know, go talk to him. And I, I just freeze and I don't freeze on the street. I mean, this is the one time when I'm, completely, like I said, kind of free and unselfconscious, that's when I freeze. But I did take a few pictures of him more recently, um, right before I sold the Canon. And I thought I was being so surreptitious. Um, but he's he's staring at, at me in every single shot. <laughs> and I had the 2470 uh, lens on. So it wasn't exactly inconspicuous. And, it, you know, I wasn't using zoom or anything. I was, I never do. And um, the only shot he's not looking at me in is when this really beautiful woman is walking by and with long legs. And that's the shot that I finally posted on, on uh, Instagram. Oh, cool. So. Well, I'm going to chime in with Maria and says, pick up that bottle of wine. <laughs> I think tomorrow. I need to. Just, you need to. You need to do it. What's the worst that it could happen? Well, I just need to think of a conversation starter that's not cliche. Like my voice is starting to shake thinking about this. I'm telling you. <laughs> but I, I told I I told I told someone uh, this week. I said, if you're feeling fear, then it's probably the, the very thing you should be doing. Exactly. I know. I know. It's true. That's what <laughs> they say. I mean, this is like if I, I, I guess, what would be the equivalent in writing if if J.D. Salinger had been sitting, you know, a few seats down from me? Honestly, that's, that's I think, equivalent. Yeah. I mean, it's just I, 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 I can't even talk anymore. <laughs> I'm losing I'm, I'm losing it. <laughs> So where can people go to find out more about you and your work? Okay, well, my Flickr is usually the most up-to-date. Um, so it's flickr.com slash Michelle Rick, R-I-C-K, two L's in Michelle. And I also have a website, michellerick.com. I'm trying to upgrade it, update it, but I'm terrible with all things internet. And I I do post sometimes on um, Urban Picnic also, but you'll see all the same pictures where you, wherever you look for me. Also on Instagram, I'm at Village Girl. Right. Well, Michelle, thank you so much. I really thank enjoyed you talking so with you. much. I'm so honored, so privileged. This was fun, and you're fantastic. Thanks for joining me. To access our complete archive of interviews, download the free Candid Frame app, available for Apple iOS, Android, and Windows 8. Links for each can be found in the show notes and the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. And our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. The Candid Frame is a member of TWIP, a network of photo-related podcasts. You can find more great shows on your favorite topic by visiting thisweekinphoto.com. And this is Ebody and X, and this is The Candid Frame.